My name is Naresh Fissa. I recently finished writing the book, 50 Shades of Marketing, Whip Your Business Into Shape and Dominate Your Competition. Welcome to Please Finish Your Book, the show where busy people became published authors. Listen as they share their story, along with practical tips that you can use to get your book finished. Now, here's your host, who was Michael Banks in a childhood Mary Poppins play, John P. Thank you, Erica, and thank you, authors and soon-to-be-published authors, for listening, rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show. If you haven't subscribed yet on your iOS device, iTunes, or via Stitcher, instructions are found at the website, pleasefinishyourbook.com, and I highly recommend it. There are some amazing shows coming up. Yes, I was Michael Banks in a childhood Mary Poppins play way back in elementary school during my fun and exciting theatrical days. For that particular play, I remember that we also sang songs such as Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and Let's Go Fly Kite. I really enjoyed acting and being on stage, actually being on many stages. Unfortunately, not a lot of people knew me back then. However, if today's guest would have gone back in time to share his marketing expertise with me, things may have been a little different. He's the founder and CEO of Krish Media and Marketing a full-service online and digital media and marketing consultancy and agency. He's worked with leading publishers, media firms, and institutions such as CNN Radio, J.P. Morgan Chase, Houston Rockets, and the Houston Astros. He's also been featured on USA Today, Yahoo, Bloomberg, MSNBC, Huffington Post, Business Week, MSN Money, Business Insider, India Today, and other domestic and international media outlets. So please listen closely as Naresh Vissa shares the book he finished, his background, along with the experience and advice he has on finishing a book. Describe what your book is about. So the the book, Fifty Shades of Marketing, is really not just about the digital marketplace, but it's about how you individually can utilize tools that are available so that you can take really anything to the next level. So it's really a primer on online and digital marketing. It's not meant just for small business owners, but it's also meant for individuals, artists. It's meant for musicians, really anybody who has an entrepreneurial spirit and an entrepreneurial mind. I cover pretty much every topic imaginable in the book from affiliate marketing to you know how to write and publish a book. That, that's one of the things that I cover, you know, the benefits of, of publishing a book and having it up on iTunes or Amazon, how to make money off Craigslist or how to market yourself properly on places like Craigslist, Facebook, etc. Gotcha. So 50 Shades, are there like 50 Steps or 50 Shades? Is that just a title that you got from something that recently happened in the book world? And <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do reference Fifty Shade, the the original Fifty Shades of Grey book, because uh, this is very relevant to your show. Th- that book, Fifty Shades of Grey, was self published by its author. Um, really, the first three books in that series were completely self published, and I think the Fifty Shades of Grey, the author's name is uh, E. L. James. Really, what she did is she understood the digital economy, the the digital opportunities that existed back in two thousand ten, two thousand. 11 
when the book came out. It was in 2011, I believe. And she just went ahead and published the books herself. And she ended up selling the rights to those books for about $5 million to a large publishing company. But um, that was one of the inspirations for this book, uh, E.L. E. James and the Fifty Shades of, of Grey series, because that is the biggest uh, self-publishing success to date. It's probably going to be the biggest self-publishing success in our lifetimes because she's gone on to sell more than 200 million copies of the book. So, yes, that was part of the inspiration for the book. But the other thing is, uh, although there aren't 50 chapters in the book, there are many different shades of marketing that people need to know. During the 20th century, people only had to know, marketers, entrepreneurs only had to know Salesforce and a few other sales tactics in their marketing campaigns. Now, there are hundreds, I mean, there are many shades, as I call it in the book, of marketing that people need to know to effectively market their products and their services. Are you ready to do a rap session for us? I'm ready. Go for it. Every minute, hundreds of thousands of dollars are spent online. More than 200 million emails are sent. More than 100,000 tweets are tweeted on Twitter. The internet has become a necessity for the conducting of business, even brick and mortar ones, whether it's for payments, information storage, research, or marketing. Billions of people around the world are now more connected digitally than ever before. And this is just the beginning. Every year, more than 90% of businesses fail to live up to expectations, not because of the quality of their products or services, but because of their lack of execution, their inability to market themselves efficiently and effectively. If product were king, then the New York Times and so many other newspapers wouldn't be going broke. If product were king, then Chicago, the Hurt Locker, the Artist, and the King's Speech would all be in the top 10 of the highest grossing films of the millennium. None is in the top 50. If product were king, then the highest rated investment newsletters in Holbert's Digest would have millions of paying subscribers worldwide because they generate the best investment returns. Holbert's Digest provides the most proven resources to people so they have the best chance of making a lot of money through investing. Who doesn't want to make more money? Yet more investors, most investors, have never heard of Holbert's or its recommendations. Whether you're a lawyer, accountant, entrepreneur, stripper, drug dealer, job seeker, marketing is an important part of every single business undertaking. People need to know about you, what you offer, how you can help, why you're awesome. Thanks, Naresh. Okay, before we move on to our next segment, I'll use two pieces of advice that we just heard. He mentioned people need to know about me and how I can help. Well, if you're a first-time listener to this show, just go to pleasefinishyourbook.com and click the About page. You'll get a chance to read my backstory. Another way is to listen to my very first episode, 000 Part 1. The other piece of advice that I heard Naresh say was to let you know how I can help you. Well, one way that I'm helping you is by connecting you with amazing and busy people who became published authors. These are people who use the word excuse a bit differently than most people. Instead of saying, my excuse for not finishing my book is that I'm too busy, they instead chose to say, please, excuse me. You're in my way because I'm on a mission to get this book finished. And they did it. So stay attached to this show for the inspiration, advice, and the wonderful authors that you can connect with. Subscribe to the mailing list. Subscribe via your mobile device. You can even follow me on Twitter at John P. Smith JR for updates on new episodes. Now, back to the show. 
Where'd you grow up and what stands out about your childhood? I grew up in Houston, Texas. My childhood um, was really what I, I think part of the reason why I've become the way I've become is because uh, I grew up in a family, uh, I guess you can say a smart family. My father was, was highly qualified, highly educated, and I, I have an older brother who I was always um, kind of trailing. My older brother growing up was very smart, always winning the, the math competitions and getting A's, whereas I was kind of the kid who was getting in trouble in school, uh, slacking behind. I didn't like to read at all. I didn't like to write at all. My handwriting was horrible um, when I was in, in elementary school. Um, I just, I, I wasn't uh, the best student. I don't want to say that I was a, a terrible student or even a bad student, but I was not a great student. And there were years where I certainly was not a good student either. Um, I was, I was a little above average. I think that helped shape me as I got older because I always, I always had to work harder than, than everyone else, not just, you know, my brother, but, but against my friends, my peers in class. And because of that, I really developed really a, um, a liking towards learning, whether it be learning about um, history, learning about uh, new trends that were going on. And this was even this was when the Internet was just catching on, but just learning in general and the habits that I built in my middle school, high school years, when I was when I was a struggling student during those two times, uh, the habits that I built built served me well for when I went to college. Because once I got to college, now I could take classes, I could study topics that I always wanted to study and that I always wanted to take. And so it was all, it was a complete 180 in college because. Um, I could pick my own schedule. I could pick my own classes. The rest would, was pretty much history. I did very well in college, ended up getting into a very good graduate school, uh, going to graduate school. And while concurrently doing that, getting started with uh, ideating for my books and also starting a couple of businesses. Syracuse is where I went undergrad. Really journalism. Uh, that was that was my primary the primary reason why I went there because of their journalism program and then Duke University for business school. So after college, which career did you spend the most time in and why? It, it was really a split between the media industry as a uh, really a, a full media type of person, uh, a print uh, print, digital, uh, television, radio, reporting, production, directing, editing. Uh, so that's kind of where I spent the, the beginning of my uh, academic career in higher education. And then after that, it, it switched into the, the financial space. So uh, really, Wall Street. Uh, I was at a value fund for two years as a value analyst analyzing equities. I was at a very large bulge bracket bank um, working in the heart of Midtown Manhattan and uh, the surrounding areas uh, as a financial analyst. And it was after business school that I kind of combined the two. I combined the media side with the financial side. And I became, uh, well, I was, I was fortunate because I was recruited by a leading financial publishing company, and they were the ones who got me introduced, or they were the ones who introduced me to the online and digital marketplace, which includes book publishing as well. So before the book idea, which hobby or passion did you spend the most time doing in your life? 
I did uh, again when I was in high school. My my hobbies and passions were really revol- really revolved around sports and around sports journalism and sports reporting. So by the time I got to college, I turned those those hobbies into an actual major. So uh, as I mentioned, I was a journalism major while I was in college. You know, when it comes to actual hobbies, I actually later on, uh, well after I was in school, that's when I picked up hobbies more seriously. Uh, as a child, I played a lot of chess. I played a lot of basketball. I was a black belt karate. I played a couple of instruments, which uh, I was never very good at. And then I took this break uh, really towards the end of high school, all the way through the end of my schooling, where I didn't really have any hobbies at all. I was just so focused on schoolwork and business and starting businesses and my clients. Uh, it wasn't until about a year ago, maybe even less than that, that I rediscovered many of these hobbies. So playing chess again, playing tennis again, playing basketball again, and now uh, writing is, is one of those hobbies that I really enjoy. Do you have a unique talent that you're proud of? You know, uh, one of this is this is almost too unique, but I mentioned that I played a couple of instruments growing up, and even though I was never really great at at the instruments, it was a violin and the piano, and I mostly did both of those instruments because my parents made me. You know how many things we do because our parents make us when we're younger. Um, I, I never really lost that musical ear, and so one of the kind of hidden talents, unique talents that I have is. I can play uh, the cups, the song cups on actual cups, red cup uh, uh, uh. from from that movie. Um, what's that movie? It's something, oh, Pitch Perfect. I can play the cups perfectly, and I've even performed it with some very good singers. Uh, not in, not too publicly, but um, I'm almost flawless in my performance of cups, and I perform the cups way better than how I played the piano and the violin. Wow, is there a YouTube video out there? With no, that? no YouTube video. Yet. <laughs> there will be at some point. Um, I'll tell you there there will be because I still I still practice it once in a while, and if I'm in the mood, I, I just whip it out and start playing it. And one of these days, it'll. I'm sure someone will ask me to play in a nice. public location. <laughs> nice. Uh, which book do you wish you were the author of? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, and yes. Um, that's a book that has actually changed my lifestyle and in turn has probably changed uh, the way I live my life. I don't want to say it's changed my life, but it certainly changed the way that I look at life and I've lived my life. Um, while I can't rewrite that book, I am working on a book where the themes are somewhat similar. So that's one of the books. And the, the other book is uh, an ancient Hindu philosophical text, uh, religious text, really, or it's become a religious text called the Bhagavad Gita and Seven Hi- Habits of Highly Effective People, The Power of, of Now um, by Eckhart Tolle. They both borrowed a lot of principles from the Gita. And so I read the Gita six, seven years ago. And uh, that's another book that has really changed, I wouldn't even say my life, well, yeah, it's changed my lifestyle a little bit, but it's more than anything else, it's changed the way that I make decisions, and it's changed the way that I treat people, and the way that I treat the world. So, um, I'm also 
uh, you know, it's just an idea I have, but um, um, I'm considering writing kind of a, a 21st century application and take on the Bhagavad Gita. Personal hardship that shaped you into the person you are today? One of the areas or, or one of the events growing up as a, as a kid, there were really, I'll, I'll list three of them, um, and they both go back to what I was saying earlier about being uh, kind of following in the footsteps behind my brother who, who was a very bright student. And that is, uh, when I was in middle school, I was placed in a, an advanced math class with, you know, it was a special math class with like seven people. Um, and, and you were essentially two years ahead in math. And I was placed in that class. There's no doubt in my mind, uh, that I did not belong there. I knew even when I was placed in the class that I didn't belong there, but, um, I was really placed in that class, I, I think, because the teachers assumed, oh, his brother was was really smart and, and was really good at math, so he must he must be good too. And and also my parents were very active in the school and they knew all the teachers. So there was some politicking that got me into that class, but I wasn't even ready for that class. And what ended up happening was that uh, three months in, um, I was removed. I was demoted from that class simply because I couldn't keep up. I, I was actually failing it. And the other kids were, they were just moving so quickly. You may not think that's a big deal, but when you're a middle schooler and there are, you know, 70, 80 other kids in your class, and all of a sudden now you're, you're too dumb to be in a certain class, so you get moved down, uh, it, it, it's somewhat of, a, of an embarrassing situation, and it's something that uh, I was very embarrassed about. And when I got to high school, um, Two more things happened that were much, much more uh, heart, really heartbreaking, heartfelt. And the first one was I was elected class president of my class uh, my during one of my years in high school. And within months of being elected, I was impeached because of a Whoa. right because I was impeached um, because of a cheating scandal that I was involved in. And, wow. and uh, again, similar to when I was uh, years younger, um, now all of a sudden here, my entire class, uh, I was elected by my class. People you know, were looking forward to me representing them. And now all of a sudden I'm removed and really went into darkness. I was so embarrassed by the entire thing that uh, I didn't even want to talk about it with anyone. I just kind of hoped that by not talking about it, no one would know about it. Um, and it, it really... Uh, it, 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 I learned a lot from that situation. And then a few years after that, about not even a few years after that, it was my senior year of high school, similar situation where I was placed in an, an advanced calculus class and, and, uh, nearly failed out of the, the course. I think, I think my, my, uh, I had to beg the, the teacher not to fail me because, wow. uh, after the semester, I, I mean, I failed the final exam. It, it was, it was actually pretty, pretty pathetic. But I failed the final exam, and uh, I begged him not to fail me, and I told him just, just don't fail me, give me a D, and I'll I'll go down to the most basic math class that, that's offered in the you know in, in the grade. So he did that. He he gave me a D, and I went to the basic math class. Um, and again, that was very very embarrassing to have that horrible grade on my transcript, and then also. Uh, Really, I was just, I felt like I let my parents down. I felt like I let my classmates down. Uh, really, there were a lot of feelings that I was feeling. And looking back, I think most people actually didn't give 
Um, they just didn't care at all. <laughs> you know, mm, I could have yeah. come more clean, uh, could have been more open and transparent. But I, I was so worried back then when I was younger. That, oh, yeah. Um, all those things. And I almost had a chip on my shoulder when I went to college. So when I went to took my math classes in college, I, I even had one professor come up to me saying I had the I had a perfect score his entire semester there, meaning I never got anything lower than whatever the perfect score was. And he said nobody in his 30 plus years of teaching had ever gotten that. And that was in, you know, calculus class. Um, I, wow. I just had this big chip on my shoulder once I got to school really to prove something to myself more than anyone else. All those other people, they were gone. I, I haven't seen them since high school, since middle school, since elementary school. But wow. it was really to prove something to myself. This is John P. again. I'm on long daily commutes in Los Angeles traffic, sometimes up to three hours a day. I listen to podcasts or audiobooks. Audible provides over 180,000 audiobook programs, and I've been using them since the year 2000. That was before they became an Amazon company. And before smartphones, I used to listen to the books on an MP3 player or on CDs that Audible allowed us to burn the books on. Now, I listen to the books on my smartphone using the Audible app. You can do the same thing or you can listen straight from your computer. Remember when Naresh mentioned that he wished he had written the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey? You can get that audiobook for free or the Bhagavad Gita he mentioned. Or you can get an audio version of Narasha's book, 50 Shades of Marketing, for free when you start your 30-day trial at pleasefinishyourbook.com slash free audiobook. Or just go to pleasefinishyourbook.com and click the Audible logo on my webpage to get started. Now back to the show. So tell us what led up to the book idea. I've had a business, a digital consultancy business for over three years now. And the, the really the genesis, the inspiration for the book was my clients. I was so tired of explaining things to clients, to prospective clients. Um, and I was so fed up with the issues I was having with clients because they were so resistant to online and digital marketing. So resistant. So usually the inspiration for my books it comes from almost anger because it's like this client is wasting my time i'm angry because they're not listening to me and when they fail on this product launch or they don't meet this this revenue goal they're going to come back and put the blame on me as as their consultant or as their contractor and so uh that's what inspires me to do a, a lot of the writing that i do it's to put it down in writing in book format with very well researched data statistics charts, um, research to, to put it all down so that instead of dealing with these issues with my clients, I can just say, Hey, check out my book. And now automatically I become a, a an authority figure. I become the expert. So, um, I noticed, I looked around the internet and I only found two good books on marketing that I think do a really, really good job of giving a clear picture of the macro uh, digital marketplace, but who also give the tools and resources and the how-tos necessary to actually execute on marketing plans. And those two other books, and I have no problem recommending those books, even though they are competitors to my own. They're excellent books. David Meerman Scott's uh, book on marketing, which came out in 2015, 
And then um, there's another book by called Traction um, by two authors. And that's another really, really good book on marketing in the, the digital age. So what doubts did you have about writing this book and how did you silence those voices? Well, the hardest part with this book is it, it was so research intensive. This, uh, there are about 25 chapters in the book. Actually, there are about 30 chapters in the book. And every single one is heavily backed with research. I thought this book would take me years to write. And it took a lot of work, a lot of labor. I gave up a ton of weekends, a ton of nights. And the book is nearly 50,000 words. So that was the biggest wow. challenge. Looking back at it now, and, and now that I've started to work on my next book, I don't know how I, I did this. It's almost like, whoa, um, you know, uh, it's almost like I, um, I was a, the person who wrote this book is a different person. It, it, it's crazy. So that was the biggest challenge. Uh, since the book has come out, it's met with very, very strong reviews and accolades. You know, I'm hoping for more negativity. I'm, I want to see some of the critics and uh, areas that I can improve on. So, um, so far, I haven't seen anything, her, seen or heard anything negative about the book. I've done a ton of print interviews, podcast interviews, radio interviews, webinars, promoting the book. And it's all been nothing but positivity thus far. Wow, great job. Thank you. How often did you feel yourself writing? I mean, was there a pattern that you found yourself writing and where did you find yourself writing the most? <laughs> the book is, is a, a book on 21st century digital marketplace and 21st century marketing. Surprisingly, a lot of the book was written on my phone. I know that sounds crazy, but um, I love it. Uh, I would say more than half of the book was written on the notes app of my iPhone. I think it's so important as a writer to write when you're inspired, because if you're not inspired, it's very difficult to write. And I get a lot of inspiration when I'm lying down on my couch, just looking out my window. And I get a lot of inspiration after I wake up when I'm lying on my bed. Those are probably the two most inspirational places for me. <laughs> and my phone's right in front of me. Uh, we're texters now. We, we enjoy texting each other more than we enjoy talking to each other and meeting each other. And as a result, um, I found that writing on my phone, I found it to be incredibly effective, more effective than sitting in front of my computer and forcing myself to spit out a, a thousand words or 1500 words. So um, that's what I, I did for, for the book as far as writing goes. Now, of course, uh, I would then transfer what I wrote on my phone to the computer. And once I got to the computer, that's when the real research would be done. So the bulk of the writing was done on my phone. The actual research, the formatting, the hyperlinking, the um, all, all that was done on the computer. Who kept you mostly accountable toward getting this book written? Really, I'm, I'm my biggest motivator. So uh, I did have a, a friend of mine early on in the process who would check in from time to time. Uh, yeah, I, I ended up being the biggest motivator because I set hard deadlines. So I knew that my deadline for this book uh, was going, I knew that I wanted it to be done by August of 2015. 
and I wanted it to be published by no, by early November of, of 2015. So because the publishing process takes uh, at least, I would say, uh, two two months, at least two months. If you want to talk about audiobook publishing, editing, front cover, all the different designs that go with with publishing, and then the marketing aspect of it, it'll it'll take at least two months. Um, so that's what it, this one took me about three or four months to to get out there. And you hit your goals. I hit all my goals. Uh, I was finished with the manuscript by mid-August 2015. Um, I was I had the all the design work and editing done by mid-September 2015, and then the audiobook was finished by early November. Well, actually, the, the audiobook came out a little later than the Kindle and the paperback. Um, the audiobook was delayed due to uh, some issues, but that came out in in late November 2015, whereas the Kindle and paperback came out in late October 2015. Was there any fun that you mixed in between? No. So I really what I do is binge write. So even with my first best-selling book, Podcastnomics, which came out in 2014, I was when I wrote Podcastnomics, I actually got rid of all my distractions and only focused on Podcastnomics over a one-month period. I did that entire book or wrote that entire book in a month. Uh, Fifty Shades of Marketing, different story. It was four times the size, maybe five times the size, uh, four times the size, and required a lot more research. And so in this in, in, in this case, very similar in that uh, I kind of shut everything out and spent uh, about six weeks where I was just working on the book nonstop. How'd you decide on that cover? I it was it was a mix. Um, I, I took some elements of the Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, you won't be able to see really any. It, it's a truly <laughs> unique cover, so you won't see it any is. overlap. But um, if you look at the cover, I, I took some of the elements of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, um, the the fonts and and all that. Uh, I took some of those elements, and then I also knew that this was a book about the digital marketplace. And so I wanted to incorporate, really, really wanted to incorporate uh, the digital marketplace. And, and, and I think the cover did an excellent job of, of doing that. Why did you choose self-publishing? I chose self-publishing really because I wanted control over the message. And also, you stand to make a lot more money self-publishing than you do going through a traditional publisher, especially if you're a, a fledgling author, which is still what I am. Um, I think the publishing industry has changed tremendously because of the digitization. I knew that with my marketing background, because I'm a marketer after all, I won't have a problem selling copies of the book. I won't have I won't have a problem uh, getting media, getting advertise, you know, buying advertising. That's really what my competitive advantage is compared to all the other self-published authors out there. So that's why the book uh, Fifty Shades of Marketing, my previous book Podcastnomics, that's why both of those books um, have sold thousands and thousands of copies. I've beaten the publishers at their own game. So you can even look at Podcastnomics. You can look right now on Amazon, and even when this episode is published, I'm sure nothing's going to change. The book is is uh, still top ten in its category on Amazon. Yep. Fifty Shades of Marketing, same thing. It, I think it's in the top fifteen in its category, and it's beating books that were published 
by big publishers. Um, I have no problem publishing my own books and beating those publishers at their own game, which I've already done with, with two of my books. Was there a distraction that you had while writing your book? Uh, in my case, with writing this current book, for example, is the businesses that I currently have and growing those businesses. So that's certainly uh, the main distraction. But then socially as well, um, I'm very, I've become very involved in my community where I live in, in Tampa, Florida. <clears throat> it's not something that I anticipated when I moved here a couple of years ago, but because of that, it's almost like every day I have some obligation. So tomorrow, for example, uh, I'm going to be at a Chamber of Commerce meeting um, this weekend. I'm going to be at a, uh, at a friend's birthday party on Thursday. Uh, I, I joined a couple of, I talked about my hobbies earlier, but uh, Thursday is tennis night, so I'm going to be playing <laughs> tennis. There are all sorts of, of things that come up, and I try my best to meet those obligations simply because I want to do those things too. But it's incredibly important that when you do get time off, and in my case, it's nights and it's weekends during the days on weekends and sometimes weekend nights, when you get that time off, do as much writing as you can. Does that mean you have to give up on you know, the, the the party at the club that's happening this weekend. Yeah, you'll have to give those up sometimes. Does that mean that you need to give up watching Full House 2 on Netflix? Yeah, it, it does mean that you'll have to put that, you know, save that for after you're done writing or save it for watching in, in a few months. Was there anything that just didn't work well? I've experienced the process, the writing, the publishing and the marketing processes, and I'm always learning. I'm always hungry to learn more. Or I've, I've mastered the, the contract side of things, hiring designers, formatters, editors, marketers to, to handle the, the publishing side of the business, and they all now work for me um, in my publishing company. Chris Media Marketing now publishes other people's books too. Um, I had a guy come to me a few months ago saying, uh, I wrote a book without even thinking about getting it published, can you publish it for me? I want it out in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. And I said, yeah, for sure. We can take care of that. And within a month, he spoke to all sorts of publishers out there. Mm -hmm. Some people wanted to charge him thousands of dollars to get his stuff out there. Some people said, you know, it'll take six months for the paperback to come out. You know, all these different things. And he came to me and I told him, I said, look, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is what we offer this is our low cost that we can offer you. If, if, if you can't meet that cost, then, you know, we, we might be able to find a way to split even more royalties. And, you know, this is the way it's going to be. So he went with us. And within, within a month, we had his Kindle. We had his paperback. We had his uh, audiobook all completely available, being sold. Um, we, we helped market the book. And he's, he's very happy with, with our work. So... That's largely because of my experience publishing my own books. That's how I got started in, in, in my own book publishing company. Is there anything else you're excited about? Uh, as far as publishing goes, really my focus is on writing this next book and getting it out there. A lot of people think that they need to sit in front of their computer to write the book. Now, I mentioned earlier that I write a lot of my content on my cell phone. Now, there are other hacks that you can do, and this is all going to be laid out in my book that comes out later this year, but I actually recommend a lot of people who aren't writers, I recommend them to record themselves 
and to buy a transcription software that's available for 80 to 90 dollars and you can use the transcription software to transcribe what you say now all of a sudden you have what you say in written format so that's just a very it's almost a hack it's a it's a hack in writing your book if you're not a very good writer but you have a lot to say just get someone to ask you a question and just talk about it and then transcribe it and now you have the now you have something written the software wrote it for you and then what you can do if you're again not a very good writer is you can then outsource the editing and have an editor make things slow and put all the ideas together thank you for finishing your book Naresh and thank you for sharing your message and your advice with the world for a quick review of what was covered in this episode, visit the show notes at pleasefinishyourbook.com slash 008. Take it away, Erica. Did you learn enough to help you take the next step toward finishing your book? If so, share the show and let us know by visiting pleasefinishyourbook.com. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Hashtag pleasefinishyourbook.com. 